This weekend we have our Catholic Service Appeal Commitment Weekend. Unlike other years, we'll not be showing any video. There is a video available. You can watch it online through uh, our parish website, through the weekly updates, as well as through social media. But also you can read more about the Catholic Service Appeal uh, in the bulletin. But there's envelopes at the end of the pew, and we encourage parishioners to uh, prayerfully consider making a pledge to the Catholic uh, Service Appeal. If you want to fill that envelope out during my homily, I'm not going to take offense uh, by, by the way. But the Catholic Service, uh, Catholic Service Appeal goes to serve about 20 different ministries around the archdiocese, including uh, Catholic school education, including uh, hospital ministry, uh, working with the homeless, working with the mission in Venezuela, as well as helping support seminarians throughout uh, their studying to become priests. You may not be aware of this or not, but, uh, well, you are aware. If you have any children in college or grad school or anything like that, education is not cheap. It's fairly expensive, especially when it comes to going to the beautiful alma mater. I spent eight years there of University of St. Thomas, but let's be honest, it's kind of expensive uh, to go there. So the support of the Catholic Service Appeal helps uh, the seminarians to make it, make it through. And for that's how I was able to get through uh, the seminary was through the support of the Catholic Service Appeal. So please be generous in filling that out and, and making uh, your annual pledge for the Catholic Service Appeal. Now, speaking of the seminary, by the way, one of my favorite parts of the seminary was when we finally got to the practical part. We call them practicums. So how to, you know, practice to do different things. We had practice homilies. We had practice uh, hospital ministry. Actually, one summer, I spent the whole summer up in Grand Forks being a hospital chaplain to try to get that bedside um, experience and walking with people on different types of their life. We had practicals as well of how to celebrate Mass. There was even a whole room set up with a fake altar and stuff like that. You had videos you could watch how you presided at Mass. But one of my favorite practicums wasn't until the end. With about two months to go, we took a practicum on how to hear confession. And throughout my time in the seminary, I really felt the Lord was calling me to offer as many confessions as possible as a priest. But I was like, when do I learn how to, to do it? Of course, I know how to go to confession. I'm very familiar uh, with, with that. But what I realized as we were doing the practicums was people go to confession in different ways. So even part of the practicums, we had to pretend we were different people going to confession to maybe our classmate. You know, the, the, the second grader going to his first confession or the person whose goals every single week or the one has been 40 years since they've gone to confession. The one I like to act out the most was the 88-year-old with dementia. It's my favorite one to act out. My friends were never the happiest when I tried to be that person. They go, Carlson, stop. And I'm like, What? I said this already, no I didn't, and then to get really mad at me. You're supposed to laugh. I know it's Lent, I understand. But really the practicum part uh, that was the best was trying to pretend in a certain sense uh, to be the priest. But I was struggling with it. What do I say? What advice would I, would I give? And there was a teacher who said, you know, the most important thing about hearing confessions is the words of absolution. And at the end when you say, and I forgive you, I may God, I mean, hold on, I have to write it down. This sounds weird, right? And I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
And when he told that to me, he gave me a lot of confidence to hear confessions. Because it's not me hearing the confession. It's me acting in the person of Christ, and I'm able to absolve as the priest. Not as me, but as the priest. But there's words before that, and the act, uh, words of absolution. So he tried to memorize those words, and I'd be struggling. I don't have the words exactly down. He says, it doesn't matter. As long as you say the last words, it is valid. I bring this up because for 13 years, I've been hearing confessions. Uh, probably over, at least over 30,000. I think it's around 40,000 confessions I've heard, and I've said the words of absolution. But on January 1st, well, actually on Ash Wednesday, we had to start doing it, they changed the words for the right, for the words of absolution. Maybe you saw it in the Catholic spirit or not. They changed the words. So all of a sudden, I'm like, uh, how do I do absolution? Now, luckily, they only changed two words, but they're big words. How did it go in the old way? The old way went like this. God, the Father of mercies, through death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent out the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you. I'm not going to finish that part, right? But that's the old way. What's the new way? It's almost exactly the same. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and poured out the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God grant you pardon and peace. So two changes there. Instead of, instead of sent out, poured out. Instead of give, grant. And we'd be thinking, now, Father, what's the difference? It's just semantics. It's just, it's just words. And in one sense, you are correct. But why did they change it? I'm going to say there's two main reasons. Number one, remember, we are part of the Catholic Church. What does it mean to be Catholic? Of course, we know it's universal. We're not just Catholics in Minnesota. And there's Catholics in Wisconsin, there's Catholics in Illinois. Yes, we have our own flavors and teams we cheer for and other things like that. But we're bigger than that. We're bigger than this Catholics in the United States. We are Catholics who are part of the universal, the worldwide church. And how beautiful is this? That when we come to Mass together, we all hear the same exact readings every single weekend. The prayers we say are meant to line up completely. We use an example here, 11 years ago. Remember coming to Mass and all of a sudden we hear, ooh, the words are different. It was hard. I'd say, the Lord be with you, and said, and also with you. Or so, I don't even know how it went, right? But remember that change we had at Mass? when they had to change the words, the translations, and why did they change it? So it can be more accurate translation of the Latin, but not only the Latin, but what other communities, other languages use as well. And so that's the same with the rite of confession, the words of absolution, we want to have a more accurate translation. Pour it out instead of sent out. Grant instead of give. And let's be honest about this. Pour it out is a lot different than sent. Because it expresses how much God loves you. How much God loves us. Let's use a couple simple examples. Let's say I have the crazy idea of actually writing a letter. I know that's crazy, especially if I write a letter because you can't read my handwriting, okay? But I write a letter, I place it in the mail, and I send it out. 
At that point, the letter is done. I've sent it. I'm no longer actively participating in it. She's a different example, poured out. Say it's uh, not during Lent, so we're having dinner together. We have a bottle of wine, so I'll pour you a glass of wine. See the difference there? Pouring means that I'm actively participating. It's an action of myself, giving of myself and pouring, I know, a glass of wine or a glass of milk. Not the biggest deal in the world. Choose another example, maybe more uh, example in marriage. When your husband or wife says to you, I want to pour out my heart to you. Oof, that's pretty deep compared to, I'm going to send you a text of how much I love you. Which one is deeper? Which one is greater? To send or to pour out? See, God just doesn't send the Holy Spirit and be like, and I know, we know the Holy Spirit's God, but there's a difference here. He's actively participating. So this word pour out shows how much he cares for us, how much he loves us, how much he wants to give of himself. He's not just sending himself. He's pouring out himself for us. Where do we see this most explicitly? Of course, we know. What is Lent leading to? It's leading to Easter. What's part of that? The death and resurrection of Christ. Where do we see this pouring out happening? There is Jesus on the cross. And what happens? They pierce his side and blood and water is poured out for you and for me upon the whole world, the history, salvation history, pouring out himself, giving of himself completely, not just sending and abandoning, but pouring out completely his love for you and for me. And we see this. This is what God does. He loves us so much that he gives completely of himself so we are not walking along this pilgrim journey by ourselves, but that he is with us, pouring out himself completely because he loves us. And what does he do? He grants us Peace. He grants us forgiveness, pardon. There's a difference there as well between giving and granting. We give someone an A on their paper because they deserve it. We give someone maybe a paycheck or a bonus, whatever it is. But to grant, grant means that we're giving even though they may not and usually don't necessarily deserve it. I grant this to you out of my own love, out of my own goodness. I grant you this forgiveness. I grant you this peace. And of course, this is what God does. He grants us forgiveness. Forgiveness for what? Well, of course, we hear about it all through the readings today. Here we have it. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind, the fall of Adam and Eve. They chose someone else than God. They chose to enter into a relationship with someone other than God, or they chose their own personal wants. And that's what sin is, choosing someone else than God. 
And so all of a sudden we have, they have this transgression. And there's this separation from this, this unity that they have with God. But that's not how the story ends. We know this. We know that God is saying, I want you back. And I will fight for you. I will pour myself out for you. I'm not just sending an agent in my place. I am sending myself. You know, we think about send, by the way. We can think back to maybe the Old Testament once again. That's one other example. Here we have King David. We all know about David and Goliath, right? What a beautiful story. Because David was a warrior. He went to battle. He went to battle for Israel, and it was great. Eventually became king. He was still battling until one day he stopped going. He says, I'm too high up. I'm the king. And look at my whole dominion. So he starts sending out the troops, but he doesn't go with to battle. And all of a sudden, there's a huge difference in David. Because he's not pouring himself out for the kingdom. Instead, he's sending other people in his stead. And we know what happens. They're off at battle. He takes Uriah's wife, and he falls into sin. The sin wasn't even, it was definitely there, but it was leading all the way up when he wasn't pouring himself out. You see, but God, God goes to battle for us. He pours himself out. He battles the evil, and we hear about this today in our gospel, and the temptation of the desert, which we hear about every single year during Lent. The first Sunday of Lent is a temptation in the desert. But here is Jesus enduring these temptations, not for himself, but for us. Here he is taking on humanity and the incarnation, fully human and fully divine, and battling against the evil one. For 40 days, he's there in the desert. And at the end of those 40 days, a temptation comes. And what does he do? Tempted in every single way. So he knows what it's like to be tempted. You know, temptation, by the way, is not a sin. We all endure temptations. But what do we do with them? Do we give in? Or we give it over to God and say, God, I need you. Pour your, I, I know you're pouring yourself out for me. I know you're battling with me. Let me choose you over this sin. And he gives us an example what to do. He says, get behind me, Satan. And he battles for you, for me, for us. And this isn't the last time he has to battle. We fast forward now, the end of his public ministry. For three years now, he's been casting out Satan. He's been curing the sick. He's been transforming bread into, into, into feeding 5,000, everything. But now the day before, well, the night before the crucifixion, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, Father, let this cup pass. If this is your will, I will do it, but if not, let this cup pass. And he's enduring this temptation so much from the evil one, by the way, that he's sweating blood. Not because of his sin but because of our sin. And yet he endures. And he takes up the cross. He's crucified. And from his side is poured out that blood and water. But because of his sacrifice, because of God's sacrifice, of how much he loves us, what happens to us? We go to our second reading today. The letter of St. Paul to the Romans. In conclusion, just as through one transgression, condemnation came upon all, so through one righteous act, acquittal and life came to all. 
acquittal and life. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. So through the obedience of the one, the many were made righteous. God desires for you to experience his love. He pours himself out freely for us. He gives of himself so we may experience this love. We're able to receive him, by the way. We're able to receive this love, of course, present in the Eucharist, to receive him, to be transformed, to share in his divinity as we receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We can also receive him and that grace he wants to give as well in the sacrament of reconciliation where he pours out his love. He pours out his mercy. Mercy is not only a forgiveness, but it's an assurance that he's with us to walk with us and to help us. He grants us this pardon and this peace. What an amazing God we have. If we could only realize how much he truly loves us, not because of our own merits, not that we're bad, but he loves us well, because we are his children. He loves us in the most perfect way, and he will fight for you. He will never abandon you. And so this Lent, I implore you, I ask you, turn to him. Open yourself up like a vessel. Let him pour himself out into you, giving you all that you need and for him to help, help in choosing him over everything else. Because in him, there truly is love. In him, there truly is life. In him, there truly is a fulfillment that we are longing for.